You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled The City, recorded on Sunday, July 10th, 2016, based on the book of Revelation, chapters 20 and 21. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. We're coming to the end of a sermon series on growing God's healthy church. And in the middle, uh, all the sermons have been on the details of prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and stewardship. But on the ends are big picture sermons. I like big picture sermons because we have to be careful as we get so such a wealth of teaching in America, so many sermons, that we can get the impression that the Bible is just a collection of disconnected verses that all bless our little lives. And that it, in a way it is. I mean, each verse, it, there, you can hear a, a sermon on one verse that a preacher can just get all that's in there out and it feeds your soul. But we run the risk of, of, of missing the fact that the Bible is one. One story, one big picture. And I'll tell you what, for your sanity's sake, literally to stay sane, to make sense of life, the bigger world around you, your own crises and good times, we need story. Human beings need narrative. We have to have story. It's the way we are made because really we are in a very big story and God is the author. And we must see our place or we don't stay sane. What's the difference between one person who has a tragedy and another has the same tragedy and the one goes out of her mind and the other one she stands strong? It's she has a context in which to understand what's happening to her. We need the big picture. And it's especially true when we look at the Bible. And, and so if we're going to talk about God's healthy church, there's no way to end it except for looking at the biggest possible picture. So um, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, if you can open your Bible or pop open your smartphone or whatever you use right now. Our mission at Harvest is to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. That's what we say explicitly, and um, it, it's what we try to do. The, the, I, I feel a need, personally, to justify that statement all the time because we call on you to actually participate in it. We call on you to give your lives to this. I'm giving my life to that statement. We exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. We have sent families out of the country, away from from their loved ones, and, and we tell them it's worth it because we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Very soon, there will be baptizing several believers in another country who were Muslims a year ago this time, and they will be facing ostracization in their own villages. And the reason we're doing this, we're telling them our message of the gospel and planting the church of Jesus Christ is worth your life. So I feel I need to justify that all the time, and I don't think I'll ever stop. And so looking at the big picture is needed. All history is a story. We're going somewhere. There can be the impression at any given moment, whether it's Napoleon's age, Alexander the Great's age, or today, where people think, well, no, we're just randomly here. It's my chance to go for the gusto, grab all I can get, uh, you know, get what's there, uh, get my piece of the pie, whether it's a whole nation or just my favorite bar stool until I'm dead. We, but that's not the way the world works. God's actually doing something. Thoughts progress. Mankind, societies are progressing. They're moving from one thing to another thing. And it will culminate, culminate in the destruction of all religions, the, the elevation of mankind as God, and then, and then the second coming of Christ. That's where thought and philosophy is heading. We know that because we know the scripture. And the story finishes with the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Now, when I say revelation, we think of the book of Revelation, which I think that's all the cool stuff. You know, uh, demons that look like helicopters that eat your head off and all that fun stuff that Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and whatnot. But revelation means the revealing. And, 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 and really what, what, what happened was John was an old man. He got to see a vision, and he got to see Jesus revealed. And you say, well, didn't he see Jesus? Well, sure he did. As a young man, he walked with Jesus. He lived with him. He said, I am I'm close to him. I'm the one he loves. And he did see Jesus. But Jesus in incarnate, in flesh, the first time, he veiled his glory. You couldn't handle the glory of Christ. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. It'd be like trying to get close to the sun. How close do you got to get to the sun before you burn up? You don't have to be a science major to know, not very close. Well, you cannot handle the glory of Christ as he really is, at least not in the bodies you have. And so John, at the end of his life, sees the revelation of Christ that all will see one day. And he gives us that picture, and that's where we're going to go to answer the question, is it worth it to live your life to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere? Revelation 20, let's jump in. Paul says, uh, John says, then I saw a great white throne. In him, this is Jesus, who is seated on it. I saw the throne and I saw Jesus. And here he is seeing Jesus for the first time. <laughs> Even though he'd seen him, he never saw him like this. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. And then I saw the dead. Boy, how do you see this many people? It must have been a wide angle. Because he saw every human being who had ever lived and had ever died raised back to life in bodies standing there again. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades, that'd be your graveyard, gave up the dead who were in them. So you could die in the ocean, you could die on land, you could die in a fire. He was going to get you back up on your feet. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Second time he says that, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. It is possible for every human being to die Two times, once physically and once spiritually, which is in the lake of fire. If you are born once, you can die twice. If you are born twice, you can die once. Think about it later. The math does work. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what we have here is a picture at the, of the appearing of the glory of the Son of God. And the glory, glory is a religious word. I remember as a new Christian, I'd sometimes hang around with some folks who were pretty excited about Jesus, and they just said glory all the time. Glory, 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 glory. I have no idea why they said that. I didn't know what it meant. I'd say something good. Hey, uh, Pirates uh, won the game today. Glory. <laughs> okay. Glory, glory. But it's not an unapproachable word, and it's an important word, and it's a word we should think about because it's in the Bible. But it's, it's, it's hard to understand, but it's easy to know what it is. Think about glory like this. Glory, think about a light bulb. What emanates off of it is its glory. Think about the sun. What comes off of it is its glory. That's one way to think of glory. But think about beauty. Think about anything that's beautiful. Think about a rose, a flower, a girl, a, a boy, or whatever you think is beautiful, a sunset. 
There's a glory to it. And then think about music that's beautiful. There's a glory to it. Think about ideas that make you weep. There's a glory to those. Think about strength and fame and victory and, and you know, the holding up the trophy. There's a glory to that. Just, just think about, and, and so no one has more, all glory is borrowed, all glory is borrowed from God, and none of us have seen him in his full glory. And I don't know if we ever will, because he's infinite, and there will be enough of him to satisfy us for eternity, and we'll never say, well, I guess I've seen that. But here, he appears in his glory at the end of time, and it says, the earth and sky flee away. They're gone! Unless he, through his power, raised up the unbelievers to, to bodies and gave us new ones, which he'll do at that time. I don't, I don't see how we stand the glory of Christ. On the, the, earth cannot, the earth cannot stand it. If Jesus shows up now in his glory, well, if Jesus is real, let him show up right here. You don't want that. You've been working a long time at that house. It's going to burn up. Books are opened. What's in those books? A record of sins. Someone's watching. Someone's keeping a record of every word, thought, and deed that's sinful. An attitude that you have and I have. Someone's keeping a record in heaven. Sins are in those books and they're full of sins. And final punishment is being administered according to what's written in them. Some people say, well, you Christians think... Jesus, you, you presented Jesus who's mean. He puts a gun to your head. If you don't believe in him, you go to hell. I have good news for those scoffers. Jesus will send no one to hell for not believing in him. He doesn't send anyone to hell for not believing in him. And you say, you're being a heretic. Look at what the text says. He doesn't send them to hell for not believing in him. He sends them to hell for their deeds. Believing in him is the escape route. No, no one goes to hell unfairly. God is holy. And when he stands in his holiness and they open the books and read, and it's shown, Jesus said this was going to happen. Everything that's hidden will be made known. Things that were said in secret will be shouted from the housetop. Every idle word spoken, man will give an account for. It's all going to be there. And I just want you to think a little bit about how exposed that makes us. Here's how, if you're talking to a so-called atheist, one thing you can know about them is they know things about God. Because none of us have ever gotten over Adam and Eve's sin. All of us are naked in the garden, put, trying to get the fig leaves to cover up. Everyone I've ever met is a self-justifier. They're worried about you seeing them like they are. I'm worried about you seeing me as I am. Any man who says he doesn't care what anybody thinks is a liar. He says, I don't care what anybody thinks. Because he cares what people think. And that's the persona he puts on to show you, I don't care what you think. He cares, she cares, we all care, and we all know deep down we're sinners. We're hiding. On that final day, it's bad, man, it's bad. I know I got pages in those books. I don't know how many, I don't know how long the pages are. They could be really long pages. Maybe I got a paragraph, but if it's like a regular set of encyclopedias, I, have a, I don't know what letter I'd stop at. I mean, start writing an A, for all I know, I got to Z. Seriously, and, and, and there are things I'm ashamed of. If you could see every sin I've ever done, if you could see whatever was written in the books for me, and we could put it on this wall, a couple days later after you're done reading it, and I'm not kidding about this, I would leave town and change my name. 
that is not a joke. I could not handle the shame of you knowing every sinful thought I did, said, and felt, and attitude I've had. And I don't think you're any different than me. That's why all these people say, well, well God has no right to send me to hell. What we're going to see is God is very just. And a just God cannot keep you out of hell when your sins are seen. He's going to throw you there. Everyone who thought they got away with it didn't. Everyone today wants justice. I want justice. There's so many sins. Our culture's falling apart. By the way, as a side note to that, you see what's happened in the world. Don't let the manipulators make you look at everything through temporary political eyes. And the manipulators are working on you. Right? People matter. Jesus died for everyone. Don't let your love grow cold because lawlessness increases. All right? But as you, as, 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 as you look at this world and you see the injustice that's in it, you want things made right. I want things made right. If you've ever been greatly harmed by another individual and, and you want deep within you something to happen that say, this wasn't right. Somebody hurt me. Someone needs to fix this. There's people who, who rape children. Someone needs to fix that. Anyone who thought they got away with it didn't. OJ kill his wife? Did he get away with it? Well, if he did, he didn't get away with it because that day, we'll know. And all the scores will be evened. This desire for justice and righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. But in that moment, you have to realize what also falls is the every bit of pride of mankind. Nothing stands. All our ambitions come to nothing. We're so proud of ourselves. We get a trophy. Our name is on it. We're Pittsburgh Steelers fans. The greatest football team in the history of the NFL. By virtue of championships. Nothing. All those Yankee championships. They are the best baseball franchise in the history of the world. You don't have to like it. They can prove it. Guess what? Nothing. People who take over countries, nothing. People take over businesses, build buildings, put their names on them, nothing. It all comes down to nothing. In that moment, when mankind's righteousness is put on display by, from the eyes of him through whom nothing is hidden, and it is said right there, there'll be no lawyers to get them out of anything. Them, us. And we will see that the most righteousness man ever had resulted in God's son being beaten, naked, and nailed to a piece of wood. And all our pride comes to nothing. What's this got to do with why our mission is to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere? Because there's another book. There's all those books with those deeds written in them. But the Bible said, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. There's another book. Oh, I'm so happy for that book. I, do, I like that book. That's a good book. One at, one, all them other books have deeds in them. Notice that there's a lot of them books. There's one book that has no deeds. It has names. Names of people who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you're like, well, that's a gory picture. Well, it's not, you're not gonna, you don't have to physically, physically take a bloodbath. Well, Christ's blood covers and takes away my sin, your sin. 
David wrote of this book. It's, it's an old, it's been well known that this book exists. This book is old in the earth. Psalm 69, 28, he was praying a prayer for justice, obviously. He said, let them, whoever these people are, be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. He knows, David knows by the Holy Spirit. I don't think he understands all that we know because he didn't get to see Christ on earth. But, but, but he knew by the Holy Spirit there's a book for righteous people. And he's praying, God, don't let unrighteous people in. And God won't. Jesus told his apostles about this book a little bit in Luke. Did you know that? In Luke 10, the book of life is referred to, directly referred to, though not mentioned directly. It says this, the the, the apostles had gone out, Jesus sent them out in his authority, and they were casting out demons and healing people and doing all the really cool things he does. Doing ministry is awesome. It's awesome for all of us if we can serve in Christ's name, to get on a team, go to Virginia, help our brothers and sisters in Christ and the lost clean out their houses and say, in Jesus' name, I'm here to help. It's such a joy to help. And you get so jazzed when you share Christ with someone. Well, these guys were casting out demons. And they were like, yeah, this rocks being Jesus people. They came back and said, Jesus rocks being Jesus people. And Jesus is an absolute buzzkill on this point. He says, nevertheless, don't rejoice at this. That the spirits are subject to you. But do rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Not that your deeds are remembered in heaven. Look at the good deed I did. Uh -uh. No, no. Look that your name is written. There's a book. We got your name. It's very interesting. This this verse deserves its own sermon. It's not going to get it today. But just I want you to note before we move on that Jesus is telling them to guide your emotions toward the judgment day. We're such victims of our emotions in our therapeutic age. We're taught we can't help what we feel. We're born this way and these things affect and we have to make allowances for our emotions. We got to give pills to our emotions. We got to, our emotions, uh, they couldn't help it as emotions. And I guess that's true to an extent, but when you come to Christ, Christ gives you his Holy Spirit and he says, it's time for you to start taking authority over those things. You're coming, even your positive emotions, you're happy, but you're happy about the wrong thing. You're happy because you have the power to cast out demons. He can give the power to cast out demons to a toddler. And he can take it away. So he's actually saying direct. This is something we can apply any day, any time. Having a bad day? Just remember Jesus saying, don't get sad about that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Just love it. Guide your own emotions to the judgment day. You might be saying, well, if, if, if having your name written in heaven is important, how can I get my name written in that book? Good question. And I'm going to give you two answers that cause people a lot of trouble when you take them together, but they're both true and they're both in the Bible. So let them cause you trouble. It's okay to wrestle with theological difficulties. You know why? Because our brains are small and his are big. There's some people very arrogantly tie up all their theology and, we have everything answered. And if anyone doesn't have an answer that way, they'll let you know, what? You're wrong. You must not love Jesus because your doctrine's not right. Look, look, I don't know, if you read the Bible I read, we can see the big stuff. Jesus died for sinners, Trinity, all that stuff. But there's some hard things. Why? We should expect that, because God is smarter than us. So I'm going to give you the answer, how you get your name written in the book. There's two answers. The first one is God writes it there before the foundation of the world. In other words, it was already there before you were born. And that people struggle with that, but that's what the Bible says, so we know it's true. But the second is, you must choose of your own to trust Jesus for yourself. People struggle with that one, if the other one's true. But they're both there. They're both there. The late Robertson McCook, I shouldn't say late, he's alive in heaven. He went there a few months ago. 
He sees the glory of God. He, he, he liked to say, it's easier to go to a consistent extreme than to remain in the center of biblical tension. It's easier to say, my name wasn't there, and I have to receive Christ, or I have to receive Christ, and my name was. Well, you know what I mean. I can't even say it. Let me show it to you from the scripture instead of me explaining it. Um, back to our text. Um, this time, verse 13, chapter 13, 5 to 8 of Revelation. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. We know at the end of time, man's going to exalt himself, right? He's going to be the greatest. And this is going to be an awesome man. The, 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 the Antichrist is going to be an awesome dude. He's not going to be weird and scary and look like the devil. Because it's really hard to get people to follow you if you're weird and scary and look like the devil, right? Um, although when you look at the two people running for president, I think maybe, you know. i just kidding. That was a joke. It was a joke. The beast, you know, there's people always say, you think this person is the Antichrist? I don't think so. Why not? Because you don't like him. He's going to come with solutions. And, 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 and he's going to be, and he's going to present himself as God. Whoa, almost went down. He's going to present himself as God. And he's going to do away with all religions that, that argue with that. He's going to say, I'm God, and I'm the only one. So the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was, he was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Who gave the, the Antichrist authority over the earth for, for three and a half years? You can answer that. God. God's the only one who has authority. He gives authority to the Antichrist for his purposes. Devil is not, the devil can't beat up God, all right? God can beat up the devil. Period. In fact, he can squish his head. He uses him as a tool, and when he's done with him, he's going to go like this, into the lake of fire with you. Devil's not there now. He doesn't rule hell. It's a place of punishment for him too. So the beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies about God. This is going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. John gets to see it. Blaspheming his name, God's name, blaspheming God's dwelling, and those who dwell in heaven. If your loved ones are there, the beast is going to curse them too. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. Chilling thought that there will be a time that comes when saints, Christians, will not be able to stop the political forces in the world from oppressing them. But hopefully, Americans, you're starting to get a taste of that, and you realize you're not going to bring in the kingdom through your votes. I want good things to happen in my country, but I don't know if you're feeling the powerlessness of righteousness. You're not paying attention if you don't feel that right now. Well, one day it gets worse than this. So make sure you vote while you still can. (laughs) One day it gets worse than this. And God's going to let him take us out. And authority was given him over every tribe and people and language and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Every, all? Well, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. So before the foundation of the world, names were written in the book of the Lamb. There's some who say, well, maybe he means before the foundation of the world, it's the Lamb who was slain. You can interpret it that way, but if you go to Romans 17, 8, you'll find the exact same phrase, and the lamb part isn't there. But let's look at that lamb part. It's the book just got a title. It is the book of life and of the lamb that was slain. You see, salvation does not come because your name is in the book. In other words, the means of power isn't your name being written somewhere. The means by which you're saved is the lamb that is slain. There is no, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Unless someone pays for sins, there's no getting in. Well, if God were really loving, he'd just let me in. That's not how it works, yo-yos. Not that you're yo-yos, but whoever imaginary in my brain I just made up. I make up imaginary people and talk to them all the time. What's wrong with that? 
That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you let a bunch of snakes into the nursery, they're going to act like snakes. God lets no evil people into heaven because they're evil. Well, then what do you do about that? Jesus Christ, God, becomes flesh and walks among us. He doesn't sin at all. He comes as a Jew to people who have been trained by their religious duty by God to have the picture of taking one of the most cute and innocent animals in, in the world, a baby lamb, sacrificed to say, this is what your sin has caused. But that's just a picture. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Well, I was a bad Catholic growing up. But I come from a family of bad Catholics. It's our thing. And uh, after the divorce, my dad, I guess, got, he said he was an atheist. He doesn't say it anymore. I don't know what he is. But, but in any case, at the time, he might be listening to this. Dad, I'm not sure where you're at. That wasn't insulting at all. I love you. You just, we never chat about these things. But in any case, at the time, uh, he said, I'm going to take this guy, this kid to church. And, um, and uh, he was doing his civic duty to us, which you got to kind of appreciate. He's trying to make us moralistic people. And if there is a God, let's give these kids a shot at him. But he did his best. He knew us, as all we Catholics knew. See, we weren't the kind of Catholics who go to church much. We, we interacted when you're born, when you're married, when you die. And go enough to get the wafer. So we went for a couple years till me and my brother earned our wafer. And if you're not a Catholic, you have no idea what I'm talking about or never been one. But I know what I'm talking about. But here's the weird thing. During that time, I was going to church every week. And every week, I heard somebody say this. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's not a Catholic who goes to Mass, doesn't hear that sentence every single time. And here's the sad part. No one ever told me what it meant. Something about eat a wafer and your sins get less. No one ever said, Jesus, Mike, because God loves you so much, you got that book of bad deeds. There's no fix in you, buddy. So I'll punish my son in your place as a substitute. He is the lamb. And that's how you get your name in the book. Before the foundation of the world, God planned you and me, and he already planned our way to heaven. And then he came and did it. That's the story that you live in. That's the story. All of history is the story of God redeeming us and glorifying his son and us ending with him. At the cross, Jesus made a rescue from punishment for all who believe. And at this point, if you don't know Christ, you might be saying, can I look in the book now to see if my name's in there? No, but here's something better. I can tell you, you can be sure your name is in there if you'll trust in Jesus. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible says. All. And whosoever will. You would say, well, he, he said your name has to be in there. Yeah, well, that's for God's business. I don't know what that book says, but I do know this. Christ died for all people. All men, women, boys and girls. He loves them all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And someone says, well, that messes with my theology. I don't care about your theology enough to care. So it says. So I can tell you, no matter who you are, you can make sure your name's in that book by trusting in Christ as Savior today. But if whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because they don't believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, um, so, so if you're not a Christian yet, become one. Right? You might be thinking, look at these, all these nice people around me. I'm not good like them. I'm bad. Look, first, you don't know these people. They're much rottener than they look. They shower once a week to come to church, so they, they're kind of clean looking today. But now, Actually, they're, they're good folks. I love them. But all of us will tell you, we filled up our pages in the sin books. 
we're only here because God has mercy on sinners. So you qualify if that's what you're thinking. And, and you can have a new life. You can be born again. You can have your sins taken away. Just declared righteous by God. So when that judgment day comes, you don't have to worry about books being opened with your name in them. Oh, you're, you have stuff there. I don't know how it works. I don't know if God says, hey, don't read that page. Or I don't know if he erases the page. I don't know what happens. But I know he says, wait, this guy is in that book. Let's not worry about that. The lamb has overcome a lamb has been slain. He's innocent. That could be you. There's nothing stopping you. Trust in him. God has no grandchildren. If you think people are sitting around here because they were raised in church and all that stuff, people always tell me that. I go to college and all the people are like, well, of course you're a Christian. You were raised in church. I was like, you don't know my family. My family is more interesting than you think we are. God has no grandchildren. You don't get saved. Even if I was raised in church, it doesn't get you saved. There's plenty of kids raised in church don't get saved. God has no grandchildren, which means you enter your first day of being a Christian, your last day of living in your sin. You don't, you don't clean up, go to a monastery, and then when you're holy enough, he says you're in. He just says, I'll adopt you right now if you'll come to me. Anyway, let's get back to this text. But I invite you always, come to Christ, believe in him. And, I, and I'll say, wait, you might have said, you told us this was going to be about why it's worth a, for a, to work to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. You haven't gotten to that yet. Yes, I have. Because the answer is it's in the big picture. Fourteen sermons ago, I pointed out to us that our identity as a church is to be the bride of Christ. And I read to you Romans 9, or excuse me, Revelation 19, 7 and 8 that said, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. You have the the judgment day and the white throne and the lake of fire, but you also have following that a wedding. And his bride has made herself ready. That's us, the church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. I love that language. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So what he's saying to us, to you, Christian, is look, all your deeds are written in those books. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. You're in the other book. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll grant you to do good deeds. So you're saying I'm getting in for my good deeds? No, no. Grant means they're given to you. It's a gift. You get to work with him. Then you get to be a part of building whatever it is that's called that bride right here in this life. By his death, every member of his church is clean and is the object of his affection. That's the beauty of the picture of a bride. Because we can walk around condemned, can't you? Don't you at times feel like, well, God saved me. You don't really like me. He's been watching. (laughs) You know, he's kind of like Santa. Sees you when you're bad. That's not how it works. He turns his affection on you. He loves you, adores you, makes you beautiful. And you say, well, I ain't finished yet. He's God. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the finished and he loves it. But there's more. It's not just a bride. Revelation 20, which I started with, gives us the judgment day, right? Yucky day. I mean, I'm not yucky. Glory to God for his, but there's yucky parts for the, you know, fire, brimstone, hell, all that stuff. But the very next verse, starts 21, says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
You see, history ends in Judgment Day, but it also ends in a wedding, which, by the way, is wild because it ends in a wedding. My wife likes any movie that ends in a wedding. All you got to do is put a wedding in to make my wife happy. She loves weddings. And I want people in Hollywood to get this. If you're going to make an action movie with kung fu moves and blowing up cars, would it kill you to put a wedding at the end so my wife will watch it with me? How hard is that? So you read the Bible, it's like an action. At the end, she wins. It's a chick flick. There's a wedding at the end. But there's something else, too. Watch this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. They'd have to. How could they handle the glory of our Savior? And the sea was no more. So we get a new sky, a new space, new planet. Much bigger. Because the new Jerusalem is about to land on it. And if you look at the dimensions, you couldn't put it on the earth today. It's not the Jerusalem we have now remade. It's a new one. And it would throw us out of orbit. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride. You see, it's a city, but it's a bride. It's a woman who's a city. Now, on earth, if you call a woman as a city, she ain't going to like that. But in heaven, that's the reality. The church is a bride, someone to be adored. The church is a city, someone to be lived among. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And that's always been the story. 700 years before Christ, he was called Emmanuel. God with us. Then Christ came. The word became flesh, John 1, and made his tent with us and dwelt among us. And here it is. That's the end of the story or the beginning. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. There'll be no more mourning. That doesn't mean the sun coming up and roosters. That's, that's the feeling you have when someone dies. No crying nor pain anymore, for the former things are gone. Revelation 20 ends with the pride of us being brought low into judgment, and all our righteousness is shown to be filthy rags. But Revelation 21 begins with a new reality. What remains of the old earth? And I'm not asking that rhetorically, but don't answer out loud because I can't hear you all. But think about it. What will remain when we hit that moment of this earth we're on right now, of your world? What will remain? You might say nothing, and you'd be close, but you wouldn't be right. The church. When you work to build the health and size of God's church everywhere, you're working on the only thing you can work on that matters. Everything else is your pride, and it's going to go. Now, I live in the same earth you live in. I have to pay a mortgage, I have to pay bills. I got to deal with all my, my own emotions. I got to struggle with sin. I, I go through, I have relationships. I got family. I got wife. I got kids. I got to raise the kids. And you, you got to go through that. You know, I feel stress. I worry about what people think. I try to work hard, do good at my job. I have all the same stress as you got. But in the middle of that, there's nothing that matters that I do except building that church. Loving those. There's no important, if you got kids, you don't have a more important job than building the church by discipling them. If you think your job is to look good at church and make sure they behave so people don't think you're a bad Christian, you're going to screw them up. <laughs> you will. I've seen it. Those are the most lopsided people in the world. The ones whose parents always say, you better behave there. You made me mad. And they're, they're not good Christians. 
They're not really following Jesus. Your number one job to build the church is to disciple those kids. Husbands, you've got to love those wives. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to change. But if you'll do that, you're working on eternity. You're building the church. You see, anyone can build the church because you don't, you don't have to be a master craftsman. It, 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 a lot of people in this, in this church, many in this room, have helped me with my really old house to make it livable. Many. And they will tell you, gee, Mike's a good helper. Would you have him fix it? I said, Mike's a good helper. <laughs> and that's okay. But anyone could be a master builder of the church because the skill needed is to love God and love each other and bring the gospel to the world. And anyone can do that. Let's read on in building on. And that's why it's our mission. That's why it's worth your life. That's why I can't ask you to give too much to this mission of your time, your money. Oh, Christians get so mad. He asked me to tithe. Richest people in the world whining about their checkbook. We're baptizing people who are going to lose their jobs, won't be able to get married, could be kicked out of their villages, beaten up. Christians are like, oh, who wants my money? Keep your stinking money. Keep your stinking money. Don't want it. But for those of you who want to build a church, I'm asking for every dime. And I'm asking for your time. And I'm asking for your blood. And I'm asking for your relationships. I'm asking for everything. Because when we get to heaven, if you give all to build this church, I know I will have treasure. You'll get it in front of me. And I'll be standing there going, Jesus, there's something that lasts. Oh, but you can have an old, well, you're the pastor. We pay you to bless us, and we just sit here. I don't respond to that well because it's not good for you. It's not good for you. Tell you, like, we have the Gideons in. Um, every act of Gideon, not all Gideons are active. I wish they were. They're not. He's a churchman. They're... <laughs> They work hard, and they work, I, I'm serious, they, they show up at the church. But if you think that's the majority of people in any church, it's not true. I'm going to stop, I'm stop. I don't, I'm not trying to focus on the negative. Maybe God needs someone to hear that, I don't know. Anyway, let's finish. Revelation 21, and he said to me, Jesus said, It's done, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexual moral, the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, in which, for the record, I want to say, that's me. If you, if you think you're better than someone else, remember, you're in that list. You are in that list. Until Christ died for your sins. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, this is wild. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Boy, it's such a weird picture. I'll show you the bride, wife of a lamb, because Jesus is the lion. He's the lamb. I can't go there. Let's move on. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me a city. Do you see? The lamb, the wife is a city. 
Let me show you the bride. The glory, of, the, the glory of Jesus is on judgment day and it makes the sky run away and people get sent to hell because of his righteousness. But the glory of Jesus in the city is delight, joy. I saw no temple in the city for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. And its gates will never be shut by day because no bad people are going to come in. And there will be no night there. And they will bring to it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. And nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Access to the new Jerusalem, my friends, is through the local church. The messy local church. Filled with imperfect people, starting with your leaders, down to the newest Christian. Messy people, trying their best, trying to figure it out. Doing, sending people to West Virginia to mop mud off a floor in Jesus' name and hoping that does something that, that builds the kingdom. Messy people who've got to organize stuff. Just regular, old, boring, messy people. The church. The most beautiful city that there'll ever be is entered through a humble wooden door frame. All those, those glass gold floors and all the diamonds on the walls or whatever, and the pearly gates, that's, that's the city. But you get in through an, an old beaten up, needing paint door frame called the local church that you live in. This is what you build. And it's an honor to build it. It may be three steps forward, two steps back, but it's an honor. I give my life to it. I give my life to you guys. I am not from Armstrong County. You may not think much about that. I love Armstrong County. I love living here. But my people aren't here, except the ones I brought. And some of them took off. Well, now they're coming back. I hope they all stay in their babies, but they may not. I'm getting older. I'm pouring it all out right here. But I don't have any regrets. I see glory when I see you people. I see glory. There's no loss. Pull yourself together, cupcake. I'm talking to me. Um, you know, the Olympics come to a city. I'll close with this illustration. Olympics come to a city is a big deal. To get the Olympics, every four years they come to some city. And it's a big deal because millions of dollars come in. Millions of people come in. Your city go, grows. You build stadiums. You build buildings. Everyone comes. You, you, if you're in China, you oppress the poor and the Christians put them in jail so you can make things light up. But it doesn't matter. It's glorious. It's beautiful. Salt Lake City and all this. We're never going to get that around here. But if you do, that city becomes the best city in the world for that summer or winter. They're working on an outhouse compared to what you got going on working right here to build your local church. Just something that's going to crumble on the glory of your Savior. But what you work on, I don't think I'll ever get a tattoo. Nothing against them. It's not against tattoos. But when you got skin that's this beautiful, you don't mess with it, right? (laughs) Now, I think the time just passed me by. I'm a certain age. The the, the fad came in. Back when I was a kid, the only people who got tattoos were, were... we're old military guys, and they'd say, when you get that tattoo? Oh, no, I was drunk, and I woke up, and there it was. And that's how you got tattoos, you know? You go to the carnival, you, you pay a little extra money, you can see a tattooed lady. She might have 12 tattoos. That's enough of them now. So I think it's passed me by. But if I ever did get a tattoo, 
I think I'd get 1 Corinthians 14, 12 tattooed on me. Somewhere I could see it. Why can't this be our mantra? So with yourselves, Paul says, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, since you're eager to see the Spirit's power in your midst, you're eager to do something, strive to excel in building up the church. And so I guess that's where we end this series. Strive to excel. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.